podcast. Tell your mama. <laughs> Have you ever made a decision that's gone against what everyone else tells you they think you should do? Uh, I love Chinese buffets. I uh, know there's probably a lot of people listening who think that that's really gross. And to tell you the truth, um, I don't disagree with you. Chinese buffets, uh, for the most part, are pretty disgusting, but uh, there's just something about them that I like, and um, yeah, I, I, I like to go to Chinese buffets. Um, so there was a time when my wife and I were dating, uh, before we were married, and we were dating long distance, um, and she was coming into town, and I wanted to take her out to eat, and I remember talking to some people, telling them that I planned to take her to this Chinese buffet that I'd been to a few times and I'd, I'd really liked. And um, yeah, literally everyone who I talked to said, please don't take her to that place. It's so gross. And um, so many people have gotten sick from eating there. Like, it's just, it's a bad idea. But I thought, you know, I'd been there a few times and I never got sick. And um, I was like, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm just going to, just going to do it. So we went and... Um, I mean, I had a great time because, like I said, I love me some Chinese buffets. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, did not have a great time. She was pretty grossed out and um, didn't eat a whole lot. Um, so, yeah, it was not a great decision on my part. And needless to say, we've never gone back to a Chinese buffet before. Um, but what made this story even worse is um, the next day we had to drive uh, like four hours away to go to a wedding together and um, it was just a miserable miserable car ride uh, not only because we were driving through you know a blizzard but also she was getting violently ill for uh, pretty much the entire car ride and then pretty much the whole time we were at this wedding she was just you know sick as a dog and um, yeah I should have listened to what everyone was telling me and not taking her to this restaurant and not uh, have, you know, subjected her to this cruel and unusual punishment. On today's episode of the Vagabond Missions podcast, our guest is Christopher Kerfoot. Christopher is a former missionary with Vagabond Missions. He served uh, three years in our Pittsburgh site and was our first missionary uh, in Pittsburgh. Uh, Christopher, too, has a story to tell about a time where he made a decision that went against you know, what everyone else was telling him they think he should do. Christopher's story is much different than mine. Uh, Christopher made the decision to offer someone mercy who had wronged him, and it turned out to be a powerful experience for both he and the person that he offered the mercy to. Uh, before we get started, just a quick note. Some of the names in the story have been changed uh, to protect the privacy of those involved. Please enjoy this story. So it was sometime in March, we were trying to start having youth nights. The first time that uh, we ever tried doing this and uh, it wasn't going well. We had had a couple of youth nights that we called, we, we called these breakout. A couple of nights where we uh, invited all the kids from the neighborhood to our activity center called the Underground. 
And the way the night was supposed to go was we'd give them, we'd have food together. We'd, you know, run some games. And then we'd give a short, like, gospel message. And then send them home. But it wasn't really working out that well. The scene was more chaotic. Just a bunch of kids going crazy in this youth center with two missionaries who didn't really know what to do. I think it was our third breakout that was the worst. The kids were going crazy. We had no control over the situation. And so we decided, all right, we got, we got to shut it down. We had kids, you know, our, our activity center was connected to the church. They were running through the church, through the sanctuary. And so I was like, all right, we got to call it. We got to shut it down. So I went to the back, I flipped the breakers, turned out all the lights, but there was still a little bit of light to where the kids could see. And it was like, oh, let's play hide and seek in the, uh, in the church. And the more and more I tried to get them out, the more and more they thought it was funny. And it got them more and more riled up. And so I called the police. I was, I said, uh, I'm at, you know, so-and-so address. It's the church on the corner of Penn and North Atlantic. Um, and I got a bunch of kids in my church who refuse to leave after I've asked them to leave. So they're trespassing. Could we have somebody come out and help? And uh, the kids just thought that was funny, but they were like, I don't want to get arrested. So they knew I was on the phone with the cops. So they started to trickle out. Um, so I call back and I tell them, hey, don't worry about it. The kids left. Um, you know, you don't need to send anybody. Well, there were, there were a few kids that are there that are, you know, really good, respectful kids who aren't part of this, you know, chaotic, rowdy group. And my missionary partner and I, you know, we wanted to give them a ride home because sweet kids. So a couple of them get in my car so I could take them home. A couple of them get in my missionary partner's car so she could take them home. And all of a sudden I look over and on the other side of the parking lot where my missionary partner is, she had started to back up and then it was like little metal shards to a magnet a whole group of teens just jumped, pounced on her car and were on top of the car, on the hood and on the top of her car, just sitting there so she couldn't move. And so she was freaked out. She didn't know what to do. So I honked to try to get them off of her car and they, they realized, oh, that's Mr. Chris. And so they ran over to my car and jumped on top of my car. 
and we're beating and banging on the top of the car and on the hood. And so I call the cops for the second time that night. And I tell them, hey, I got a group of teenagers on top of my car, beating and banging on my car. And so one of the kids is looking down into the car through the window and sees I'm on the phone. And so he yells to the rest of the group, hey, yo, Mr. Chris, he's calling the cops. Let's go. And so they ran. And so I call the cops back <laughs> and I say, you know what? You don't need to send anybody. They're gone now. The person on the other line is obviously very confused that I just had a bunch of teenagers on top of my car and I'm telling them not to send police officers, but I reassure them I'm all right. And I go and I take my smaller group of teenagers back to their houses and I come back meet my missionary partner back at our, um, back at the underground. And we're exhausted, we're frustrated, but we still have to clean up and lock up for the night. So as we're leaving the church, finally locking up, I get a call. I get a call from one of the kids that, yeah, he was acting up, but he's generally, usually a respectful kid. And he said, hey, Mr. Chris, can you give me a ride home? I'm right on pen. And I was exhausted, but I was like, all right, all right, I'll give you a ride home, man. Just come on, meet me at the church. Well, with him, comes about eight other teenagers and they're all hyped up. Well, they all pack into my missionary partner's car. So her car is full. And then I get a, a few into my car and I'm just trying to get, you know, just get it done, get them home. And then I can go home and go to sleep. Well, one of the, the, the reason they filled up my missionary partner's car first is because they loved messing with Emily. She was so easy to get frazzled and annoyed. And so they always loved messing with her when she would give them rides home. One of the kids... No he realized, oh man, I don't want to ride with Mr. Chris. I want to ride with Miss Emily. So he goes over to her car, realizes it's full of kids. There's not a seat. She's already locked the car because it's in drive and she's starting to pull off. That's when he jumps on top of the car as she's trying to pull off. So I get out of my car. I go over there. I'm like, yo, come on. Get down off the car. Come on. Just, I could take you home. I could take you home. Just come up to my Jeep. I'm right up there. I got, I got a seat for you. But he's still like on top of the car. I finally, he, he comes down, but only because he's trying to reach at the door handles to get into the car. But all the door handles are locked. Well, then at one point, Emily starts to pull off and 
is looking like he's trying to jump on top of the car. So I, I pull him back and I hold him back as the car goes off and went zero to 60. He pulled back from me and gave me these, the angriest eyes I think I've ever seen. And he was like, man, you put your hands on me. And that's when he cocked back. And the next thing I knew, my cheek felt funny. I didn't really realize what was happening until he punched me the, for the second time. And I don't know why this was my reaction, but my reaction was very calm. I just thought, oh, I'm being assaulted right now. I'm going to start walking away slowly and pull out my phone to call 911 for the fifth time tonight. So as I'm walking back up to my car, calling 911, the kids who were in my car see what's going on. I'm slowly walking up the hill and no. is landing hit after hit after hit at the back of my head. And so a couple of them jump out of the car and they're running up to him, like trying to calm him down. What are you doing? Eventually I'm on the phone with a 911 operator. And as I'm trying to juke him out, you know, sweeping, bobbing, I'm trying to explain, uh, yeah, I'm currently uh, being assaulted right now and trying to give the address of where we were at. Finally, I get through the call. And at this point, like the kids started holding Ronnie back and these were his best friends. And they, they told him, dude, you got to get out of here, you know, cause they were used to getting the cops called on him, I think, but they knew like, Ronnie, you got to get out of here. And so he runs, the police are on their way. They bring an ambulance to check on me before the ambulance comes. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there before the police car or the ambulance, before the police officers or the ambulance come, I'm sitting there, standing there waiting for them on the verge of tears, not because I'm in pain, but because I'm so upset and worried about like, what was this going to do to the ministry? These kids are never going to trust me again. I just called the cops on one of them. There was that. And I was thinking, you know, they think not only are they not going to trust me, they're not going to respect me. I just got the crap beat out of me from a, a teenager. And I just stood there. So as all this is going on in my head, the cops pull up and uh, I'm talking to the officers. One of them was officer Andy. I remember his name. And he, uh, he walks up to my boys who are still there and he's flashing his flashlight at him. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not the guy. None of, none of them did it, but he goes, Hey, yo, is that you? And I was like, Oh, how do you know? He's like, Oh yeah, I arrested him last week. <laughs> but I started talking to officer Andy, telling him what happened. And then I call my boss, call Bob and Karen, tell them what happened. And officer Andy had told me, okay, listen, it's been about an hour. We found him. He was at his grandma's house up the hill. You can either press charges and we'll take him up to the Schumann Center or you can uh, work it out and, you know, work it out civilly. And I called Bob and Karen 
to ask them, like, what do you think I should do? And as I'm telling them all this, you know, what's happening, asking them what I should do, they're telling me, you just got assaulted, man. You, you got to press charges. Like, we're not going to tell you you have to, but, like, you should press charges. But for some reason, that didn't feel right. So the ambulance checks me out. They tell me I, you know, I got a couple of good hits to the head. They tell me I could have a concussion, but there's no real way of knowing for sure. So good luck. <laughs> and then the police officers take me up. I told them I want to I wanna talk to. No. And so I drive up to Ronnie's house with the boys in my car. I got three other boys with me in the car. And one of them, one of them is one of my best friends. This kid was one of the ones holding him back and then, you know, told him to run and everything. And he was like, yo, Mr. Chris, what you, why you let him beat you like that? And I was like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hit him. And he said, man, I would have kicked his ass. <laughs> but we get to the house and I walk in and I see, see on the couch, with an officer beside him. And on the other side is his grandma, I assume. And then I heard a voice coming over the speakerphone, sounded like it could be his mother. So I start talking to them and, you know, I introduce myself and his grandmother's very polite. And then I hear a voice from over the phone starting to curse me out. And I realized, oh, okay. So this is his mom on the phone. I guess there's a good reason that he doesn't live with her. So the grandma quickly hangs up the phone. She says, okay, bye. You know, she don't want to get me in any more trouble. So I talk with the grandma and I tell her, ma'am, you know, it's unfortunate what happened. As I'm sure you understand, I was just trying to keep safe. We talked and she, she understood and she was very, she was very good about it. And, um, and I turned to me and I said, and, I hope you know this doesn't like this doesn't change the fact that I love you. You know, I love you and I forgive you. And so at that point, his grandma kind of nudged him and said, say you're sorry. <laughs> and so he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Chris. And so at that point, I leave. I was talking to the officers outside of the house and they had told me that uh, that was the first time they ever like saw somebody deal with something like that civilly instead of pressing charges and then I went to uh I went to the car and I got in and I was talking to my guys and I was thinking about you know there's a reason that even though it's his best friend there's a reason that responded with man Mr. Chris I would have kicked his ass because that's one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city and what they've seen their whole life is if somebody wrongs you if somebody hurts you you hurt them back so it was, it's, they only know this pattern of violence, this circle of violence. I'm talking with them in the car while I'm giving them all a ride home, hoping I don't have a concussion and crash the car. And she says to me, man, Mr. Chris, I don't get it. He beat you up and you didn't send him up. Man, it's, it's like you saved him. And that's when I realized that that was probably the first time in any of these young men's lives that they had seen an act of mercy. It wouldn't have done anything for me to send me up. It just felt like for some reason I needed 
to go the other route. And that is a wrap. We thank you so much for listening to this episode of Vagabond Missions Podcast. We'd like to thank our guest on today's show, Christopher Kerfoot. And as always, a big thank you to our producer, Dan Bozak, from Aardvark Productions. My name is Mark Pirro, and I've been your host. To learn more about Vagabond Missions or to join us on this adventure, please check us out at vagabondmissions.com. Peace. Peace.